You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Horesky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. But also just talking with other grad workers around campus, hearing what they have to say, and trying to incorporate that into thinking about, you know, our mission and how we can serve grad workers across campus. Later in the program, we revisit a report from WFHB correspondent Kayan Tara on the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition's attempts to unionize. Also coming up in the next half hour, a caution to Facebook users on Better Beware, the weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. More following today's feature report. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, November 3rd. I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. Indy University has recently been the recipient of criticism following the decision to cancel a meeting with Sunrise Bloomington, a grassroots environmental organization. This meeting had a goal of discussing possible first steps that Indiana University's Shareable Foundation could take to reduce the amount of fossil fuels that power the campus. According to the Indy Star, The meeting was canceled due to the demand for transparency from Sunrise Bloomington, who want the public to be able to view the discussions. While this is a disappointing setback, it represents the culmination of months of work from Sunrise Bloomington in the form of petitions that called on IU to reveal financial documents that are tied to the fossil fuel industry. As of now, the two parties are still planning to meet on a future date. After months of discussions in both houses of Congress, Moderate Democrats, progressives, and President Joe Biden have reached a deal on the White House's Build Back Better plan. This budget deal allocates $555 billion to reduce emissions of carbon dioxide. One of the key programs in the deal are tax credits for companies that make the purchasing of environmentally friendly products easier and cheaper, such as electric vehicles or the installation of solar panels. Independent experts have predicted that the legislation will reduce United States annual greenhouse gas emissions by almost 17%, which is an important first step in the fight against climate change. An interesting new environmental development has occurred in the country of Colombia. For many years, wildfires destroyed the beautiful forests of the country and left barren wastelands in its wake. Researcher Juan Carlos Tesma, a Spanish retail consultant, developed an idea to replace the lost habitats. Using drone technology, Sesma created seed-dropping drones that would fly over the burned areas and drop tree seeds, resulting in new forests. At first, the plan was unsuccessful, as most seeds failed to take root. However, the seeds began to be encapsulated with nutrients that enabled them to last longer before being buried. The company, CO2 Revolution, has stated that they will not be satisfied with their work until they have planted one extra tree per person on the planet. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel.
At the COVID-19 press conference on October 29th, Indiana University President Pamela Witten spoke, thanking everyone involved in helping students get back to in-person activities. You know, I, I really would also like to take a second to thank all the extraordinarily dedicated healthcare workers um, who we all know have been and really remain on the front lines of the pandemic, as well as our many city and county partners, uh, really for, for your collaborative spirit. Uh, since the outset of the pandemic, uh, which feels like many decades ago, I know for most of us, um, IU's campuses have really been amongst the safest places in the state. But one of the lessons that we've learned uh, during the pandemic is really the degree to which all of us are interconnected. And, and our success, IU's success in weathering the pandemic could not have been accomplished uh, without the strong partnership that exists between the university, the city, and the county. IU Health Director Penny Cottle explained when the COVID-19 health regulation extension will expire. The health regulation was extended this week, and it is extended until our goal or the metric is met. And the goal has been the same since we put this particular regulation in place this summer. Nothing has really changed significantly in this regulation. So you may ask, well, what is that goal? It is reaching less than 50 cases per 100,000 residents, and that would put us at a moderate um, level of transmission. And the county needs to be in an advisory level that is blue. Uh, it is possible to have one, but not both of those metrics. And so we do need both of them to be in place. The regulation, as a reminder, requires masks regardless of your vaccination status when you are in indoor public spaces. Um, and that stems from the CDC's recommendation this summer when Delta variant started surging that everyone, regardless of their vaccination status, needed to be masked up. She also said that although the mask mandate might end shortly, this will not be the end of the pandemic. Individuals who have gotten vaccinated will not be required to wear a mask anymore. However, precautions should still be taken, and individuals who are unvaccinated are still recommended to wear a mask to protect themselves and those around them. President of IU Health Brian Shockney shared that the hospital is seeing a steep decline in COVID-19 cases. According to Shockney, Monroe County is doing better than other counties due to our mask mandate. Additionally, I'd like to share our support of the Monroe County Health Department and community in the decision to continue the mask order until we are truly at a safe level of COVID cases in our community. While I recognize that masks uh, continue to be an inconvenience at times and we are all ready to get rid of those masks, I appreciate the intentionality to ensure we are removing the mandate at the right time to ensure we keep our community safe. And it is important to note that Monroe County is the only county in Indiana with a mask mandate, a county health order still in effect, and is leading many of our other counties in weekly progress and only one of, and one of four counties leading the way in the positivity rate declines in this week's report on the State Department of Health website. IU Vice Provost for External Relations, Kirk White, said that on November 7th, students and faculty at IU will have the opportunity to get the Moderna vaccine or the flu shot or both. The vaccines will be free. He also gave an update on IU's current vaccination rate and said that the respective numbers of positive COVID-19 cases are an indicator that the vaccine is effective. Our vaccination rate has uh, continued to increase. 
You might remember last week we were at 93.7%, and uh, this week we've moved up to 94.1%. At the same time, our cases of COVID has, have continued to decrease. So last week we had 25 cases. This week we only had 20. That's the lowest we've had all semester. So you see as the vaccination rate goes up, the infection rate goes down. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on November 5th. On Tuesday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 years old. This follows the Food and Drug Administration's recent authorization of its vaccine emergency use authorization. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Caudill said in a press release, quote, This is another way to protect our children. This gets us one step closer to reducing the need for masks in schools, end quote. During last Friday's COVID-19 press conference prior to the CDC approval, Caudill explained the number of sites where children can receive the vaccine. We will be offering school clinics, office visits. There will be mobile clinics. Pharmacies will have vaccine. And your provider will be another option for you. So when you're going for that normal well child clinic, you can get your vaccine at that time. We are planning a couple of evening or Saturday clinics, on-site school clinics, and just like we've been doing, we'll have regular clinic visits. We are requesting mobile clinics as well. So we plan for you to have lots of opportunity to be vaccinated. According to the FDA, the Pfizer vaccine was found to be 90.7% effective in preventing the transmission of COVID-19 in children ages 5 to 11. The Monroe County Public Health Clinic, a partnership between the Monroe County Health Department and IU Health Bloomington Hospital, announced they will work with local school systems to host the COVID-19 vaccine clinics to any child from 5 to 11 years old, no matter what school they attend. Locations include Edgewood Primary School and Bloomington High School South. Details for registration can be found at vaccine.coronavirus.in.gov. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources is going to be logging the Salamone River State Forest. According to the Indiana Forest Alliance, 31% of the volume of the trees will be logged from a 121-acre tract in the heart of the 956-acre forest. The Indiana Division of Forestry says it is necessary to remove non-native trees. However, conservationists are saying this will do more harm than good. The Indiana Forest Alliance reported that trees in this forest are only two or three decades away from being considered mature, which is pretty old for Indiana forests. By cutting these down, animals will be losing their homes. Particularly important here are the wintering bald eagles, neotropical migrant warblers, which are little yellow birds, and bats that live in the tree canopy. Indiana Forest Alliance reported on a bat survey they did and said that their acoustic monitoring in the area, quote, detected the little brown bat and tricolored bat in the forest, both state-endangered species that are under official assessment by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to become federal endangered species, unquote. We will have more in-depth reporting on this in the future, and we will continue to follow this story. In today's feature, we revisit a report from WFHB correspondent Kayan Tara on the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition's attempts to unionize. Kayan Tara has that story.
The sounds you just heard were from the town hall held by the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition on September 23rd. The graduate students at Indiana University in Bloomington have been attempting to form a union for three years now. Calling themselves the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, the group is fighting for better working conditions for graduate students at IU. Their goal is for graduate workers at IU Bloomington's campus to have equitable pay, benefits, and freedom from discrimination. Nora Weber, a fourth-year graduate student in the sociology department, explains that the coalition started about three years ago when a group of students decided that they wanted to represent graduate students as workers. We have a grad and professional student government, and that represents us as students, uh, which is is part of our, our dual role on campus. Um, but we are also workers, and so we wanted a body that represents um, represents us in that role. And so that's what the Greg Coalition does. I got involved with the coalition, I think, about two years ago now. Um, I was talking with actually some friends in the sociology department, and you know, we were talking about the work that we do and uh, just the way that we felt like this wasn't being recognized uh, by the university as as work. Um, and yet we know how much work we put in, in terms of teaching courses, uh, leading labs, doing all the TA and grading, all sorts of things like that. Nora expresses why she wanted to join the coalition and what her informal role is in the unionization efforts. We don't have a super formal structure, which I really like. Uh, it is very much like a coalition, certainly. So I've been helping out with a lot of sort of communication types things, but also just talking with other grad workers around campus, hearing what they have to say, um, and trying to incorporate that into thinking about, you know, our mission and how we can serve grad workers across campus. At the town hall, one of the founding members of the coalition, Valentina Lucetta, asked graduate students in the crowd to raise their hands if they have faced economic insecurities due to the lack of financial compensation by the university for graduate workers. When it's all said and done, not treated with dignity and respect. So to demonstrate this, join me. How many of you have struggled to pay the rent? How many of you have worried you're not going to have enough money to buy food? How many of you have taken side jobs, stayed up late at night, trying to figure out how to cover all your financial duties? How many of you have sold your plasma? Which, by the way, when we sold that to the Dean Dalaki, he said we still need some proof to show that we are actually at the end of the day selling our bodies, our plasma. Some of us are even participating in sex work, which is an honorable thing to do, but it's something that the graduate students are forced to do in order to survive. How many of you have felt alone, powerless, spent hours devising an email to your course director, afraid that if one misplaced word is there, you're going to somehow lose funding for the next year? How many of you have felt that if you're not quiet and you put your head down, 
and you have to listen to all sorts of things that you're going to lose that funding you've been promised. I too have felt very, very powerless. And then we founded the Graduate Coalition. <laughs> IU has a formal policy when a group wishes to work towards unionization, and currently that is what the coalition is working towards. Unionization supports everybody, and I think what's really powerful is um, the, some of the big issues that workers face on campus um, is payment that is not sufficient to meet our base needs. And we will say, well, you know, maybe the university doesn't, you know, doesn't owe you that. Um, I would argue that based on the percent of classes that we're teaching, the amount of money that grad workers bring into the university, that's not a very, that's a, that's a hurtful, <laughs> in addition to untrue uh, sort of assessment of the situation. Nora notes that better conditions for graduate workers also benefits the undergraduate student body at IU. The way it connects to undergrads is when we are able as graduate workers to just focus on our studies and to just focus on our teaching and our lab commitments and our TAing, that's a better experience for the undergrads as well. Nora, as well as others a part of the coalition, do not see this attempt to unionize as working against the IU administration, but instead working with them. By allowing them to unionize, the coalition sees this step as the university acknowledging that graduate students have needs that should be met. We are really would like them to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge the work we do, but also understand that when they are in negotiation with a union, it's much more efficient than having to deal with all of these individual departments and all of these individual um, workers one off, that it just makes a much more efficient process. As a part of their unionization effort, the coalition has five goals that Caitlin Beadler, a fourth-year graduate student in the biology department, explains at the town hall. We have five main things that we're pushing for as a union. Ending the fees, living wage with annual raises, protection and improvement of our benefits, implementation of an effective grievance procedure, and fairness for our international graduate workers. For the past two years, graduate workers at IU have organized, petitioned, marched, and engaged in a historic fee strike. Currently, they need to sign up a majority of graduate workers on union membership cards. Once they have the majority, they will deliver these cards to the IU administration, who will hold a yes or no vote for unionization. For the coalition, winning the union election will show IU that the majority of graduate workers agree with their demands for regular races to end the mandatory fees and for fairness for graduate students at IU. I am optimistic about the future of this. I think it's been, I've talked with a lot of grad workers over, especially over the last year. And while I see a lot of frustration and a lot of difficult situations that people are facing um, and that they're sharing, I also see a lot of solidarity. And I see a lot of people who 
are committed to the work that they do and committed to the things that they study um, and are also really committed to building a community that is better, not just for themselves, um, but for future generations of grad work at IU. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic too. I, we have uh, President Witten as the new president of IU. And, um, you know, she has stated that diversity on campus is one of her priorities. She's stated, you know, that, that building, that listening is one of her priorities. And so we are here. We would, you know, love to, love to continue and have these conversations with her. For WFHP, this is Kayan Tara. Up next, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. Facebook has had trouble lately. Host and producer Richard Fish looks at the known facts, accusations, and a caution to Facebook users. Fish has more coming up. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. When I was a kid, there was only one American telephone company, Bell Telephone, named after the inventor of the telephone, Alexander Graham Bell. Oh, there were a few tiny independent companies, but they all had to use Bell to make calls outside of their tiny areas. In the 1970s, the courts decided Belltel was a monopoly and broke it up. Of course, in those days, all telephones were connected by wires. You placed a call by rotating a dial. If you dialed zero, you got a live human being to help you. And all the telephone did was carry your voice. Don't laugh. It's not so long ago. Today, of course, the Internet and cell phones have changed everything, and there is no single company that connects everyone. But there is a company that sometimes seems to connect everyone, Facebook. Most of us can remember a time before Facebook. It's only been around since 2004. But today, almost 3 billion people use Facebook, and two-thirds of them use it every single day. Hey, when I was born, there weren't 3 billion people alive in the whole world. And I'm not that old, honest. 200 million businesses use it too. And 69% of American adults have a Facebook account, although 90% of daily Facebook users are outside the U.S. and Canada. Scammers have been using Facebook right from the beginning, and we've reported on that for years. But now there are serious questions arising about Facebook itself. Facebook makes its money by keeping people engaged online, reading, and posting. Over 98% of Facebookers connect on their phones, spending an average of almost 20 hours on the site every month. It's not surprising that Facebook and its subsidiary Instagram made a profit of over $29 billion in 2020. It's beginning to look like the book could be shamefaced. Whistleblowers and investigators charge that Facebook effectively turns a blind eye to fraud, hate speech, drug dealing, sale of stolen goods, and disinformation campaigns because they keep users engaged. 
Facebook has announced software and policies aimed at curbing misuse of their platform, but they don't always hit the target. Just last week, one of our WFHB volunteers posted information on his next show, and Facebook blocked it, saying it violated their rules against spam. Balancing the rights of free speech against the need to moderate content is a minefield, and Facebook is not a public institution, it's a private company. If you use Facebook, you'd better pay attention to what they do and find out what the facts really are. Oh, yes, they've rebranded themselves as Meta, and perhaps didn't research that word well enough. In Hebrew, Meta means dead. But then Facebook sounds like a Chinese word for must die. In case you're wondering, I'm not on Facebook, and I get along just fine. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cayenne Tara. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio. Coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 